Welcome to the Real Freedom Podcast, where we inspire you to pursue your passion to gain time and financial freedom through opportunities in real estate. I'm your host, Mike Swenson. Let's get some real freedom together. All right, everybody, welcome to another episode of the Real Freedom Podcast, where we talk about building and gaining time and financial freedom through opportunities in real estate. And today's guest, Bryce Robertson, has hit the Freedom Trinity, financial time and location freedom. A little bit of a background about Bryce, dropped out of high school. So I know a lot of times people think you have to be successful in school and get good grades and do that. Dropped out of high school, had a negative net worth with $2,000 and essentially achieved financial freedom within the span of two and a half years. You lead the collective inner circle. You have a strong desire to enhance physical and mental toughness. You enjoy challenging yourself in outdoor adventure sports and athletic endurance competitions. You love traveling and venturing with your wife and dogs. In addition to being one of the leading experts to inspire and empower, empower freedom hackers to live a true fulfillment uh, living their sole purpose and expressing their freedom through the uh, videocast and podcast, The Freedom Hack Radio. And you also are a host of Financial Freedom Mastery. So a lot of stuff to cover today. I'm really excited to have you on the show and to talk about uh, just kind of yeah, really highlighting the the Freedom Trinity. It's what everybody strives for. And uh, you know, you're somebody that lifted yourself up by your bootstraps and went out and got it. So excited to have you on. Beautiful. Great to be here, brother give listeners that aren't familiar with you just a little bit of backstory, how you got to where you're at and how that journey happened. Yeah. So Bryce Robertson, native from Australia, got to near the end of high school and realized I'm not going to university. I just wasn't digging it. I wanted to go out there and make money as soon as I could. But at the time I had no business or entrepreneurship uh, mentors or influences. So I really didn't know what to do. And I went out there and got what I thought was the highest paying job uh, working with my hands. And that was a blue collar job. And I got an apprenticeship as a steel fabricator welder. So I completed a five-year apprenticeship in three years. And then I went out to the Western Australia and worked in the underground gold mines where I'd work 12 to 14 hours a day, seven days a week, eight weeks on, one week off. Uh, and I did that for about two years in Western Australia and Northern Territory until I saved up a little bit of cash. And then I had a dream in my early 20s to leave Australia and travel the world for six years. And I did. Here's how I did it. I first started with my base camp in London, England, where I'd work. I'd work eight to 10 hours a day, five to seven days a week for three to four months at a time, save up a chunk of cash, and then go traveling through Europe until... My money ran out and then I would come back, work again, go to Africa. And I did the whole UK, Europe and Africa cycle for three years. And I don't want to change the scenery. So I went from 12 million people in London to 5,000 people in a really small ski village called Fernie in British Columbia, Canada, because I wanted to experience a snowboarding season. But I loved it so much there. And I found out they had some coal mines down the road. So I ended up staying there for two years. I started my own gig out the coal mines. And when I wasn't working, I was firefighting, downhill mountain biking, snowboarding, or enjoying the outdoor mountainous activities. And because of that, I didn't really travel that much through that two years. I did everything there in the mountains, saved an even bigger chunk of cash this time. So I could take an 18-month surfing and scuba diving trip down in Central and South America. And in the last six months of that, that's when I met my wife, who's a native from California. 
So naturally, I ended up here in the States about 13 years ago. And when my wife and I landed here in the States, we made an agreement with each other. We want to recreate this freedom lifestyle, except this time we wanted to do it, number one, without our money running out, and number two, with our money growing while we're traveling and having fun and living that same lifestyle. So we went out and looked at the three main ways we can make big bucks, and that's owning a business, real estate, and the stock market. I think cryptocurrencies fits in that last category, but it wasn't really a thing back then. So in the beginning, I tried about seven different side hustles. And then after a while, I realized I was spinning plates. I was having mediocre success. I need to take a step back and choose one thing. Now, I knew it was going to be in real estate because at the time I had a 17-year background in construction and construction management. Um, and But what was I going to do in real estate? So I looked at all the different ways to make big bucks, self-storage, single-family homes, wholesales, fix and flips, notes, mobile home parks, multifamily apartments. And over and over and over again, mobile home parks kept popping off the page. Massive supply and demand. Um, uh, in 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 uh, favor of mobile home park owners getting to fulfill what I believe is America's number one real estate problem, and that's a need for affordable housing, um, excellent cash flows, excellent tax benefits, hardly any competition. I was in. So three months later, once I made that decision, I went and put my first park under contract, a forty space park in Southern California. But at the time, like you said before, I had a uh, ne- I had a negative net worth, two thousand dollars in the bank, and unseasoned credit. And then, uh, how am I going to get this deal done? So I actually went out there and I leaned on family and friends to get that deal across the finish line. And that was my first experience at what we now call syndication, where we bring investors into the mix. Um, so we did that, and then I also negotiated some financing there. Um, through someone's retirement account to get that deal across the finish line. And once I got that deal across the finish line, I realized, wow, um, I could do bigger and better things collectively with other people. Also realized there was a big need for investors to join deals where I'm doing all the heavy lifting. And we call that syndication in our space. So for the next two and a half years, I rinsed and repeated the same business model and then created financial freedom. Yeah, that's exciting. So I, I know there's so many people out there that even just hearing a story like this, and I think this is why, you know, you're somebody that that likes to take action, likes to take risks. So many people are stuck in paralysis by analysis of they come up with all the reasons why they can't do something and you just paved a road and figured it out as you went. And so what what advice do you have for people that that do get stuck? I mean, they're, they're like, how do I do a syndication? There's all these different things like SEC regulations. How does that work? And you're like, hey, I just went ahead and got money from friends and family. And now it's what we call a syndication. So talk me through that process. That's such a good question, Mike. So the way that my answer to that is really just like, what you have to do is just understand the concept of what you need to achieve. Okay, and then have some people looking over your shoulder, so a mentor, people who have gone through the experience before that can see the red flags. And then all you really need to do is just focus on the one next step that you need to do. So like when I was in that position, a negative net worth, $2,000 in the bank, unseasoned credit, no experience. What did I need to do? I need to get it under contract. So I focused on getting it on a contract. Okay, got it on a contract. What's next? Do some due diligence. Cool. I did the due diligence. What's next? Uh-oh, I need money. I need financing. I need investors. So I just did a one step, one step, one step, one step, and then I got the deal done. If I had have actually thought in the beginning, oh my God, how am I going to do this? How am I going to do that? How am I going to do that? I would have taken myself out of the game. So just focus on the one next step that you need to do and have someone looking over your shoulder to make sure that you're doing the right thing. 
And I, I love how you, you just focus on on taking that next right step. And I think, yeah, sometimes people get so caught up because they think I've got to think three, four, five steps ahead to make sure that I don't hit a roadblock. And you're like, just, hey, what's the next step? Okay, I got that done. What's the next step? So finding that balance, because you know you talked about get it under contract, um, do the due diligence, and then find money. A lot of times people might think, well, I've got to find the money first. And how how does that how did that work in your world where it's like let's let's just focus on getting it under contract? How do I do that if I don't necessarily have the money lined up? In a perfect world, yes, you would have the money lined up first. Um, but look, this was my first deal, and I was just like I was piecing it all together and getting it done. So in a perfect world, you would go out there and you would build the relationships with investors first, uh, and then you would you know you would take that path. But you can get stuck on that path too, mm-hmm. and you can be like, "Well, I'm not going to go out and get deals. I don't feel confident that I have enough investors yet." You know, work on them both at once. I'd say work on like building your investor group if you're going to raise capital for deals and work on putting deals under contract. One of them is going to come first and then you'll just solve the problem of the other one. Um, In a perfect world, you would have the capital there ready to go first, but don't let that stop you from putting a deal under contract because unless you've got a deal under contract, you don't have anything. Yeah, I mean, really, it's as simple as two things. It's it's money and deals. And if you have money, you got to go find deals and, you know, vice versa. And so those are the two things that really matter as, as you continue to grow. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you, you got that first one under contract. And how did that build and, and escalate from you to, yeah, where you, you said you, you know, in two and a half years time, you've, you've essentially achieved your financial freedom. How did you go find some of those other deals? What did that look like? I know mindset's really important. And so, you know, what were the things that you kind of had to tell yourself to be able to, to, to move forward? Well, actually, it wasn't really what I told myself. It was actually what one of my mates told me. And it was a guy that I just met at the time. Later on, we ended up collectively writing a book together, 10,000 Miles to the American Dream. But he was another Aussie that I met. His name's Reed Goosens. And uh, he got introduced because we're both Australians investing here in the US. And he's like, oh, cool, man. First phone call. He's like, oh, cool, man. You did a you did a 40 space mobile home park. And I was blown away because I only like literally just like closed on the deal. And I'm think, I'm feeling like 10 foot tall. And he's like, so let me ask you, mate, um, why are you doing such small deals? And then I kind of like took that arrow, you know, at the time I'm like, man, I thought I was doing some pretty cool stuff. That was my first deal. Uh, And then I sat and thought about it. I'm like, wait up, why am I doing such small deals? So my next deal ended up being a 200 space park and then just like growing, expanding from there. So um, really the hardest deal I did was the first deal. Um, and to do bigger and better deals after that has actually been progressively easier and easier. And, um, you know, money was the challenging thing for the first deal. Now I've got like more investors than we can throw deals at, you know? So um, we, you know, th- there's always challenges as you're growing and expanding. But um, yeah, I mean, we just, it's all you have to do is just believe that something's possible and then go out and do it. And I think when you're listening to podcasts like this and someone's paved the way for you, one of the things that made it easy for me in the beginning is I went to a real estate meeting. This was before I got my first mobile home park. And I'm looking at all these people in Tommy Bahama shirts. It looked like they just got off a cruise ship. And they're like, yeah, we've done tons of fix and flips and we've made tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars. I'm just like, if you guys can do it, it's a done deal. I'm doing it. Mm-hmm. You know, So you just got to believe in yourself, believe in the process and then plug away at it. Yeah. So for people that 
you know, how, you know, maybe they're in single families or multifamilies and they've heard about mobile home parks. Um, talk a little bit about the kind of the strategy behind it. Um, you know, what, what do you do to, to take where it's at right now and to be able to kind of essentially flip it and, and resell it in the future? What's the strategy for you? We've actually got a pretty unique position in the marketplace, which not too many mobile home park operators have. Um, we do buy stabilized parks, which are about 70 to 80% occupied, but we're really specialized in buying about 50% oper- uh, occupied parks. So they've either got a ton of vacant homes or a ton of vacant lots or a combination of both. And so we go in there and we buy it for cents on the dollar. We're buying it about like, you know, 20, 22, $23,000 per lot. Where it, you know, when we can sell it, we sell it for about seventy, uh, fifty to seventy thousand dollars per lot, um, and we've got our own in-house property management company, our own in-house asset management company, and in-house contracting crews. And we just move our contractors. They go live at the park. They knock out all the remodels in a really short period of time, find used homes, bring them in, remodel them, or we bring new homes in, get it all set up. Um, we send our sales machine um, sales managers in there and fill up the occupancies and refinance, cash out investors and move on to the next one. And that's, that's really the, the unique niche that we're in. But for somebody else to join and do this, um, there's so many ways that you can actually increase the value of a mobile home park because it's based off the net operating income and how that applies to a cap rate. So if we look at the net operating income, how can we increase that? Because it's going to massively increase the value of the property. So we can increase our expenses. Uh, Sorry wrong way. We can increase our revenue or we can decrease our expenses. And so we go in there and we do both of that at once. So we try and trim all the expenses, get rid of all the fat, um, just only have the baseline expenses in there that we need. And then we raise rents. That's the way to increase revenue. We also bill back utilities, another way to increase revenue. Um, We fill vacant lots, increase revenue. We fill vacant homes, increase revenue. It's really about increasing the occupancy, billing back utilities, increasing the rents and reducing the expenses. And when you look at how that multiplies, when you have that newly increased net operating income, and then you apply the cap rate to it, I mean, we're talking about making big bucks here. For example, uh, we had a 200 space park that we individually put water meters on. They're all computer red and everything like that. Cost 70 something thousand dollars. Like let's just round it up and say $80,000 to install these water meters and then bill back the water to tenants. But then when you look at the effect on the net operating income and then the cap rate applied to that, when we sold it, it gave us an extra $500,000 worth of sales value just by installing those meters and billing back the water. And all it cost was like a little less than $80,000. So the return on investment to do things like this is, is pretty amazing. When we fill a vacant lot, depending on if we get a new home, a used home or what, if we get a new home, it costs us about $6,000. And then we have financing programs that we can leverage. Um, and then that lot's worth about fifty to seventy thousand dollars. If we do a used home, it's costing us in today's market about twenty five thousand dollars to fill that lot, get it remodeled and ready for a tenant. But again, on the back end, we can sell the park for about you know fifty to seventy thousand dollars per lot. So you can look at the return on investment on those and then multiply that by how many lots you do on that on ten lots, twenty lots, hundred lots, two hundred lots, and um, you know you can kind of do the math and figure out what's in it. That's phenomenal. So, so talk about how that has unlocked. Cause I, I do want to make sure we talk about that, the freedom Trinity here. So, so talk about how 
your financial life and then kind of your your location life has changed in the doors that that's opened as a result of what you've been able to do. Yeah. So, you know, I achieved financial freedom quite a long time ago. And then after that, you know, kept plugging away and working for a while and expanding because just because you create financial freedom, it doesn't mean you want to stop. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I got to 2019 in the beginning of 2019, my wife and I were like, Hey, let's go down to Costa Rica. We're going to go surfing for three weeks. We might look at some real estate there. Maybe we'll start a backpackers hostel down there or something like that. We're just like exploring. We got down there. We had 10 days there. I got some cool surfing in, but my wife was like, yeah, let's go somewhere else. So we got a, she's like, I got these really cool plane flights down to Chile in South America. So cool. We went down to Chile, hiked in Patagonia. Next thing you know, three months in South America, spontaneously. Um, we hiked in, in Patagonia. We went to Michelin star restaurants in, in Argentina. We surfed in Brazil, jungle treks in Bolivia. It was amazing. Awesome time. And then after three months in South America, my wife's like, hey, by the way, I found some really cool flights over to Paris. Let's go hang out in Europe for a little while. So next thing you know, a three-week trip turned into a spontaneous six-month, 20-country world tour. While that was happening, I was working about four hours a week, still keeping all of the operations going because I've built out the team's and then also launched a book through that period, the book I mentioned earlier, 10,000 Miles of the American Dream, um, and then also launched new investments all while working four hours or less. And then granted, true, when I got back, I started working like 80 hours a week for a couple of months to catch up and do a lot of stuff. But that was just an example of living the freedom trinity of financial freedom, time freedom and location freedom, meaning that you can do what you want, when you want, from where you want. And that is true freedom in the material world. I think we could go one layer deeper because I think true freedom actually comes from within and it's more of a spiritual experience. But talking about the 3D world, I mean, the freedom trinity is really the way to go. And it's very tangible and much more accessible in today's environment where we can really, all you need, is all I need is my phone and a laptop and game on. If I got an internet connection, I can do this from anywhere all over the world. Now you had talked about because you had built up your team and, and kind of stabilized that, that, that provided you the opportunity to do that. So talk through the process of, of building up a team, kind of getting that piece of the pie stable so that you, you can go and, and work four hours a week. Yeah. So one of the things you want to look at is the concept of like, how much money am I worth an hour? Okay. And you can kind of just look at how much money you're making, divide it by like how many hours you're working. And as an entrepreneur, that, that number is raising and raising quickly if you're doing it properly. And then you look at, okay, if I'm worth, say, for example, if, if I'm worth like $100 an hour, then if I can find somebody to do the task for me for $20 an hour and I can earn $100 an hour, I'm actually making $80 an hour. You know what I mean? On top mm-hmm. of that, by getting that person. And then you expand that through different people. So really, a lot of people in the beginning, they're like, hey, man, I want to do everything myself. No one's going to do it as good as me. Well, that might be true. And maybe other people are only going to do it 80% as good. But you're not going to grow very quickly. And if you really want to scale it, you have to build out teams for sure. So you got to look at like, what's, what's some of the things that aren't the best use of my time that aren't making a big return on investment, but they need to be done. 
Bookkeeping is one of those. So you go out there, you get a bookkeeper. Okay, what's next? And, you know, we needed help with like property management and, and all these different people and then in construction and then, and then acquisitions and then, you know, all these different parts of our business we were actually building out. And it, it, what happens is, is you'll find, oh, too busy. I'm too busy. I need more time. Okay, what can I offload? Who can I bring on that can actually do it? It's not how can I do that? It's who can I, who can do that? And then you find the right person that's a good fit to do it, train them up, which takes time in the beginning. So you don't get that relief straight away. But once you've trained them up and if you've chosen the right person, then man, you will just go, Ooh, that is so cool. Once you do the first one, you're like, man, I want to do two, I want to do three, I want to do four. And then just keep building and building your team. And um, and then it's always just this ebb and flow of like, okay, yeah, 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 we're getting bigger and bigger. Okay, we need to bring on like three, four, five more people right now to help with that. Um, and it's it's kind of a balance between like how much money you're making, how much cash flows are coming in, how can you support these new people that are coming in, how much time do you have? And um, it's kind of more of an art really than a science. And um, but you know, so many people, so many small business owners, whether real estate investor or not, get stuck on that. They don't want to like. They don't want to hire people. And if they hire people, they're worried about firing them. Like if someone's not working out, get rid of them straight away. And then just move on to the next person and, um, and build out your team. And really, that's the way to scale. I mean, you, there's no way you can do this alone and um, get over that fear of actually building out a team because it'll be the best thing you ever did. Because ultimately, one, one thing to add on that is like, what's your ultimate skill set? And you could think about that yourself, Mike, and you could be like, I know that it's like, I am best at doing this particular thing. So you want to free up all of your time so that you can do that one thing and really shine and let other people that specialize in bookkeeping and property management and construction and all these things do their thing while you're focusing on your thing, because that's when you're really going to shine and you're going to get the most out of it. So what was, what was that top thing for you? So as you look at, you know, what, what's the highest and best use for me and the value that I bring, um, what, what do you spend your time on? Yeah. Uh, podcasts, speaking on stage, uh, live events, um, high level meetings and joint ventures with new business partners, um, high level decision-making over like new investments that are coming in and strategizing, and then just high level, like driving um, the business plan on or an execution on all the projects that we've got going on. That's really where I, I spend my time. Yeah. And how did, how did that change? So as you started to get a little bit of momentum, where did you see was, was your highest and best use networking with people that have money? Is it helping to find deals? Is it helping to put together deals? Kind of how did that grow for you and change and adapt? Throughout the process? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I just started in the beginning, I started offloading all of the tasks that were not bringing in extra money. So like bookkeeping, it's like, it has to be done. It's super important, but it's not actually technically making me more money, you know? Right. So then like, okay, get a bookkeeper in so I can go get more deals. Yeah. Um, so you focused then, your time on maybe finding the, ne- the next deal and then hired that bookkeeper to, to build out behind you? 
Yeah. So, and then you got, you've obviously got to manage these people, right? You can't just like hire someone and expect they're going to do the best job. You have to like, you have to manage them prudently, but yes, hire that person, go find more deals and then look at the deals that we do have going on. How can we compress the time frame and get this business plan executed even quicker? And um, that's really where I specialize. And that's where I'm like, uh, you know, selecting the right deals, saying yes and no to the right deals, getting the best financing, compressing the time frame, pushing things along, um, getting to that money pumping out on the end quicker for ourselves, our investors and everybody involved. And um, yeah, that's, you know, we're all about taking massive action as well. Yeah. And I think, you know, one of the themes that I hear often is, yeah, it's it's about speed, right? Your job is to to ramp things up, to move things along as quickly as possible so that you can compress timeframes, go find the next deal, go find more investors. And so you're really orchestrating the speed and trying to make that treadmill run faster. Yeah. And I would say that we, you know, toot toot my own trumpet and everything like that. But I think we do an exceptional job at it. And really it comes down to planning, dude. Um, I think that a lot of people wait until it's time to do something. And then they start like strategizing on it and doing it. We like anticipate things like way ahead, man. So like by the time we are closing on a mobile home park, we've already got everything lined up. Our contract is ready to move there, live at the park. They already know what they're going to do. We've already bought our materials, got everybody lined up. We've got the meters ready to be installed. Um, we're like, we're primed and ready to go, you know? And I think your perfect preparation is like one of the most important parts to like quick execution. Um, instead of trying to like figure it out where you go, anticipate it, solve all the problems up front as many as you can. You're still going to run into problems along the way. Um, but then just like hit the ground running. Whereas so many other people, they're like, oh, okay, I closed. Now I have to think about this and this and this. Like, dude, we did that months ago, you know? And that's why I think we can like do this so quickly. The other, the other key to it, I think, is volume. So if we've got uh, 20 homes to remodel, we could have, and this is what most mobile home park owners have, they'll have a construction crew there and they'll move from home to home. And then each month they'll remodel a home and lease up a home. And after 20 months, they're complete. We'll get that done in like six weeks to, to three months. We'll send out like three crews, four crews, five crews, whatever we got to do. Some parks will have like eight crews and some local support as well. So we do a lot of preparation up front, a lot of planning, working with the cities and surveyors and all of this, getting it all dialed. And then boom, we send the, we send the forces in and, and just get them to knock it all out at once. Awesome. Well, I know our time is short today, and so I, I want to be respectful of that. But thank you so much, Bryce, for coming on and just, just sharing how you had humble beginnings. You you found the right way. You found the right thing to plug into and make it work and, and really live the life that a lot of people idolize, right? Being able to have that financial freedom, have that time freedom, and, and just being able to, to, on a whim, go into a six-month uh, travel with, with your wife. So that's awesome. So thank you for so much for coming on. Uh, for people that want to learn more about you and what you're doing, how can they do that? Yeah, come check us out at investcultivate.com. And Cultivate is spelt with the number eight. So it's C-U-L-T-I-V, the number eight.com. Come check us out there. Awesome. Thank you so much, Bryce, for coming on. I appreciate your time. Beautiful. Thank you very much. 